0: Well, amen, uh, and like Austin said, my name is uh, Daniel White, and uh, I've had the opportunity to meet many of you, uh, but for those of you who I haven't had the opportunity, my wife and I and our family, uh, to meet, I hope the opportunity uh, happens in a few moments after uh, the service out in the lobby as we enjoy uh, breakfast. It's been a fun uh, journey, if you will, the irony of that word, right, uh, of to, to, uh, this process that we've had to meet the and get to know the pastor search team and elders, deacons, and so many key uh, leaders that that make uh, journey, uh, journey. And uh, I know that you know a little bit about us and myself, but I'm going to tell you a little about our family, even though you may have already read it on a website or heard it from me uh, 50 million times, it may feel. Um, And so my wife, Reena and I, we've been uh, married coming up on five years uh, in this June, uh, and we have... uh, Two human children and one fur child right now, and so our firstborn is Millie. Uh, she's a cockapoo. She'll be four years old in a couple of years. And uh, the saying is true: uh, if you're newly married, uh, don't get a dog unless you're ready for kids to quickly follow. Because that was true uh, for us. Our firstborn son, his name is Wells. He turned two back in August, and he's enjoying uh, kids ministry in the back as as well. And then we have our secondborn son. His name is Sabbath Jude. He turned one uh, back in December. So our family is pretty easy to follow. Rena and I are five years, and then we have a four-year-old dog, and we'll have a three-year-old kid this year, and a two-year-old, and then a baby on the way, a baby girl, uh, Sutton Joy, who will be here pretty soon in February or March. Uh, and so for us, when we tell people that generally, what ends up happening is uh, somebody will say, aren't you so excited that you're finally having a girl? Weren't you trying to have a girl? Like, aren't you so pumped? And my wife and I were like, yeah, I mean, we weren't trying for a girl, if you will, though. We were trying for a healthy human and I think we'll be successful uh, in in that. But it's tricky, right? Because then people will back up and say, no, but for real, though, like, aren't you so excited that you're finally like having a girl as if there was something like wrong with boys or something like that? But it's not, it's true. Like we weren't, we weren't trying for a girl or, or any of that, but Our wants and our desires as human beings, they're they're just so messy because even when we tell people what we really do want and really are desiring, sometimes they don't even believe us. And, but I know something as human beings, we all have desires. We all have wants, even though they are super messy at times to figure out what do we really want when it comes down to the nitty gritty of our lives. And even though I'm not, One of your pastors, Jed, I know some things about you as humans that we all do have wants. We all do have desires and there's some core desires that are down at the bottom of all of our souls that we're all looking for. Like we, none of us want to live a life that's operated and governed by fear. We all want lives of confidence that's filled with joy and love and beauty and and goodness And as uh, Austin read that passage, that's what this passage is is full of. The themes of this passage is no fear, confidence, hope, beauty, joy. But where the rub in this text of scripture comes to our lives is ask us this question from King David who wrote this Psalm uh, thousands of years ago, is how are we going about trying to get that in our lives? And that's the question we're going to ask this morning as we dive into God's word. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, meet me in Psalm 27. We're going to be in the first six verses. I'm going to reread that passage of scripture over us. We can never have scripture wash over us too much. And then we're going to see what it may mean, uh, um, what, it, what it's saying and how can it, it can apply to our lives. So Psalm 27 uh, verses one through six, it says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock and my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy I will sing and make melody to the Lord. If you're taking notes, I've titled today's message How to Get What You Really Want. So let's dive into this passage of scripture. In in verse 1, we see the very first line. It says, "The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear?" And the most important word in this passage is that, "The Lord." It is the personal name of God, Yahweh God, that David is adamantly in his life where the source of all goodness, all joy, all strength, all confidence comes in his life, that the Lord is the source for him. But you know, there's really two ways that you could read this text of scripture. There's one way, if you miss the opening line, if you miss that opening sentence, this first verse, that you could read this and think, who does David think he is? Like he is arrogant, prideful, haughty. Like he thinks that, he says, every time my enemies come at me, they die, they fail, I triumph, I'm victorious. And you could read it. If you miss the first verse, if you miss the first line, if you miss the point and the source point for David and all his strength, all his confidence in his life is the Lord. If you miss that point, you misread this passage. Because in this, that David is very clear. He recognizes, this is the first point if you're taking note, David recognizes who God is. He recognizes that it is the Lord that is the source in all these good things providing in his life. That it is the Lord that provides this confidence for David. That it's not only who God is, but it's what God does. That the Lord is my light and my salvation. You know, the second most important word in this opening verse is the word my. Because David recognizes the truth, but he personalizes it to his own life. Because truth can be cold if it's not personalized, right? Because this verse would be true too. If we drop the word my out of this passage in verse one, it's still true, right? The Lord is light and salvation, true statements. But how does it change in your life when it's good or bad when you read this verse when the way David writes it, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Because when you recognize not only who God is, but what he does in our lives, everything changes. And that's why David has this confidence in the context in this passage that for David, the source of strength, confidence, hope, security, and all things good in his life is not his family not his finances, not his retirement, not his power, not his title, but it is the Lord. And for him, he says who God is, is he is my Lord and he is my light. And if we just think about what light does in our lives, it's some good things, right? Light shows the way, light reveals, light brings warmth, light guides, light directs, light is in contrast to darkness. The reason that David celebrates how the Lord is light is because he knows what it's like to live in darkness. And if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, which I would imagine most of us are, you know what it's like to live in darkness with not a relationship with God, wandering around aimlessly with no purpose, no direction, no hope in your life, caught in bondage by sin. But now that you've seen the Lord, you you have a direction, you have a purpose, you have a hope, you have a confidence, not only in who God is, but what God does in your life, you know, we all began living in this world in sin and David is no, no different from us. In one Psalm, David says, I was conceived in iniquity. He knows that the moment he entered this world that he was a sinner and he needed a savior which is why that he not only says that the Lord is his light, but he is his salvation. He is his rescuer, that he pulls him from the darkness of sin and places him in the goodness of light. He recognizes who God is and what God does in his life. David recognizes his deepest need, that he needs God to be his light and to be his salvation. But before David even recognizes it, think about the profound truth that God, as a good loving father, as our creator recognizes our deepest need before we did. That D.A. Carson says it like this, is when thinking about God looking for our deepest need, he says this, if God would have perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent us an economist. If he would have perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God would have perceived our greatest need was a political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If God would have perceived that our deepest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion against him, our death, so he sent us a savior. That God, through Jesus, did the ultimate saving that humans needed, that when we trust in Jesus, that we are plucked from the bondage of sin and placed in the goodness of God. And when you look at, we're one month into this year. Well, January is, is almost over. And I'm sure that a couple of weeks ago on January 1st, you probably set New Year's goals and you had all these things that you wanted to see different this next year. And if you're assessing 2023 as we're moving forward, what do you assess as your greatest need? That if the Lord could provide any restoration in your life, what would it be this next year? You're like, man, I really want my finances to course correct. I really hope that I get some healing. It's a restoration there. Man, we really need a new house. Like that would be amazing if, if this happened in our life. Or man, our marriage, it really needs some restoring. Or man, I, need, I really need a new job. Or if you're a college student or a high school student, you're thinking, man, the grades this next semester, <laughs> they need to get on the uptick. All right. You're assessing your needs this next year. And none of these things are bad. None of these things are evil or or wrong in essence, but are they your greatest need? Because for David, as he was assessing his greatest need, notice that he doesn't ask for the Lord to provide him triumph as King. He, He just asks for the Lord, for allow him to live in his presence because he recognizes who God is. And all those things that I listed off that are personalized in our life that probably apply to most of this room, that they are needs, they are outworkings of the goodness of God in our life, but they are not our greatest need. Even if you have a relationship with Jesus, our greatest need is still our sin issue of we needing to look more like Jesus, that we need God as our light and our salvation. And some of you are probably thinking if you're followers of Jesus right now in this room, you're like, yeah, Daniel, I get it. One day I will ultimately be saved. One day when I die and I pass from this life to the next, that I will be with God forever in eternity because I've trusted Jesus as the leader of my life and the forgiver of my sins. I will be with him one day. One day I will ultimately be saved. And, that, and that's true. But I want you to notice for David that this truth wasn't cold, And this truth wasn't only futuristic, that for David, following God and living in his presence was a present tense reality in his life that provided not only confidence and hope for a future, but for right now, like right now in David's life, he experienced this confidence that he knew that following God wasn't just true, but it actually worked in his life, that maybe for you, that's what you're waiting to hear, that Maybe for you, that's what your neighbors are waiting to see in your life, that you're claiming to, to follow Jesus. But the question they're asking is, does it actually work? Like, will it actually heal my marriage? Well, if I follow Jesus and do money God's way, will it actually work in my life? My relationships are a train wreck. They are dumpster fire. Like if I do things God's way, will it actually work in my life? That maybe the reason your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members who don't know Jesus or bounced on church since COVID, the tension they've with is, man, it just fills up my Sunday. Like my life is no different from your life. You're chasing the same, same things I'm chasing. Our lives are really not any different. The truth is cold. It's not personalized because they assess our life and they say like, well, does it actually work? Like I, I'm good with the fire insurance so I don't go to hell one day. I wanna be in heaven, but does it actually work? And for David, it did that. It left him to the only conclusion. Look at the question he asked at at the end of the first sentence. What is there left? Whom shall I fear? Like the Lord is my light, my salvation. There's a present tense reality to my saving that it works in my life. That the source for David's lack of fear was a proper understanding of who God is and what God could do. So he continues on that, following this gospel that God knows who God is, that he always keeps his people. He always keeps his promises. It doesn't mean bad things will never happen, but it means that we have a confidence in the midst of a storm. So David says at the end of verse one, that the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? That word stronghold just means a safe place, a place of security. And remember the context, verses two and three, he talks about people wanting to eat his flesh, devour him, see his ultimate demise. In those moments of life, and David says in that, when evildoers assail me, when they surround me, not if, but when, when those moments happen in your life, your stronghold is always revealed. Where your place of security is, where my place of security is, always is revealed. Where do you run to? What do you hope in? And we're not trying to play Christianese here, but like, oh, it's Jesus, amen. No, but really, like, what is the thing that you're constantly checking in those moments of your life to making sure they're good? Is the stronghold for you, like your safe place, your security, like that nice house that you finally got? Is it that retirement fund? Is it as long as my marriage is good, as long as my kids As long as that relationship, as long as I got that job, remember I got that degree on the wall. What's the stronghold? What's the safe place? What's the security in my life? Because look, I mean, David says, it's really clear for him. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. He doesn't say the kingship, the title. The anointing, like, no, it's, it's the Lord is the stronghold, the safe place for my life because the world will quickly have a funeral service for whatever your stronghold is if it's not God because not only will it be revealed in our lives, but it will fail if it's not the Lord because for David, it's ultimately clear that not only following Jesus and having a relationship with God, living in his presence is a true thing, is the good thing, is a right thing, but it's a thing that works in our life, that it's an answer for when these times happen. Verses two and three. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries, my foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arises against me, Yet, I will be confident. You see, I want you to notice the tone of this passage is not arrogance, but just humble confidence that God will ultimately provide victory. And it doesn't mean that David's not gonna lose a battle. It, it, that's not at all what David is saying, that he may lose sometimes in life. There's times where life just beats us up. But I want you to see David's heart posture of confidence in God, that it doesn't matter what life throws at him. There's this confidence that David has in who God is and what he can do, he says at the end of verse three, yet I will be confident. That there is this humble assurance in David's life that where he is at and who he is living for Brings all kinds of peace, all kinds of confidence in his life to move forward, no matter what life may bring. And then we continue in in verse four, which is probably on a coffee mug or something on the wall at your house. It says this, one thing I've asked the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent and lift me high upon the rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me and I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. This statement is a statement of just immense humility not arrogant self-confidence, but rather you see David's singular focus in his life. That's the next point if you're taking notes. His singular focus, this, this phrasing and rendering in, in Hebrew is only used this one time in the Psalms. This like formula of one thing I've asked of the Lord. He has this singular focus that his, David's plan is I just wanna be in your presence, God. If that takes me into battle, if that leads me into uh, s- green pastures like in Psalms 23, wherever it leads me, I want to live in your presence. One thing I 've asked the Lord, that I will seek after I'm chasing this thing down with my entire life and my entire being. i 'm doing what honors you God. that's what david 's confidence is that's what his his permanent presence, his desire is not to exercise his power as king, but it's his to live as a son or as a follower of his God. And so as we look, and we're gonna dissect verse four and ask three questions from these three different words that David uses of inquire, seek, and dwell. And we're gonna see where our need actually is in our life, where God's invitation is, and where the goodness of his gospel reigns. So we're going to ask three questions based on David's desire, right? Remember in the bin, we all have desires, we're all humans, we all have wants, we all have things that we really want to see happen in our life. But the question I asked you at the beginning is the question this text asks. How are you going about it in your life? How to get what you really want? And we're going to work these words in reverse. The first word is inquire. And the question I want you to ask is, where are you looking? In your life, as you dissect your life, where are you looking to get these things? Where are you looking for confidence, no fear, security, a stronghold, joy, comfort, peace, goodness? Like, where are you looking? Because that word inquire literally means to look over. It's it's used other times in the Old Testament. And one time is is really fun that I found that I was gonna share. It's Leviticus 13, 36, when it's the laws about leprosy, which is a skin disease, and it's directions to the high priest when they would look over people that had skin disease. And it says this, then the priest shall examine him, the person who has the itch. And he says, if the itch has spread in the skin, the priest shall not seek, shall not inquire. That's the same word for yellow hair for, they already know, it's unclean. So the priest is looking over this person who has this skin disease, this itch, if you will, and they should inquire no longer. It's like, look no further. You already know, he's got the leprosy, okay? (laughs) And so in this verse, in this verse, David says, I'm going to inquire, I'm going to look. And where is he looking? Where the presence of God was manifest or tangible for the people of God in the Old Testament, in the temple. Because it was evident, like, I want to sense the presence of God. I'm seeking for God. I'm looking for him. So David got it that the foundation for success in his life, in his kingship, and in his future, in this current moment was firmly fixed in seeking what God wanted for his life. Where are you looking? Where am I looking for that confidence? Am I looking for it in the presence of God, of, uh, of God just lead me where you want me to go? Or am I selfishly just saying like, man, what's the most logical next step? What's the safe move? No, is, am I seeking, am I looking? Am I looking for the presence of God to achieve these things? And then the second word is, is gaze. The question I want you to ask of yourself is, what are, you, what are your loves? What are the things that have your affection, your heart? Like you love this thing. In verse four, it says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And when we look at beauty and goodness in our lives, true beauty can only be received. It can't be exploited or grasped or taken for yourself. And and the reason I, I know this is because the second we try to take beauty, we break it. We fracture it. We mess it up. We can only receive true beauty, the way that it exposes itself to us. And, and here's, a, here's a helpful illustration the way I think about this. When I was studying this passage and looking at the word beauty in the Bible or goodness and how we receive it, I, I, I thought of my wedding day. And we did the modern thing in our, in our wedding for my wife and I, where we did a first look, you know, where like my back's turned to her and, and she's coming down the aisle, and Like all I wanted that day was to see my bride. That's all I wanted. That's what my desire was. I just need to see her. Because every guy who hasn't seen his wife or future wife on his wedding day is like, is she actually even here? (laughs) Because that would be awkward like (laughs) if she's not. And we did our our wedding at the ASU Alumni Center outside by that pond, if you're familiar over there. Um, And I just remember with my back turned to her, my heart was pounding, my gut was in knots. And I was like, I just want to see her. And I heard these footsteps coming behind me. She tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and I could only do one thing. Receive the beauty that was before my eyes. That's why Jesus, when he's talking to Peter and the disciples and he's asking the question, who do the people say that I am? And they're raffling off like some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're this and that. And then Peter says in Matthew chapter Uh, 16 verse 17 he says you are the son of the living God in verse 16 and that's why Jesus responds in this blessed are you Simon Barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven you see God the father revealed to Peter by the power of the spirit of God at work in Peter's life what he was seeing in the presence of Jesus who he really was he revealed it to him When you see a beautiful sunset, you can do the only thing, one thing is receive it. And it's evidence of the grace of God in our world that God, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, lets the sun rise on the good and the bad. That God's grace is evident all in our world and even if we don't recognize it. But the thing about this is when goodness and when beauty is revealed in our life, when we receive it, do we attribute it to the goodness of God? Do we love him? When we see it, when we want to grasp it, when we want to fix our eyes on it and when we fix our eyes on who God is and what he can do, do we love him? Or do we just love what he does? Like for us in our life, are, do we love the fact that we're going to be in heaven because we're following Jesus, we turn from our sins and we don't want to go to hell one day? Or do you, when you think about God, do you love him? Like when you think about just spending time in God's presence, is it like, bah. Or you're like, I just want to be with him. I, I, I love him. Like I, I want to just be able to receive more of who he is, more of what he wants for my life. I just want to love him. I want to fix my gaze upon him. I want to lock my eyes on who God is, what he does in my life and not look away. This is what David wants. This is what he desires. And to receive it, David gets the fact that I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I just wanna look at it. I just wanna be with him. That's what he wants. Is that what you want? Is that what I want? What do you love in your life? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Like, what do we love? Because the way we become more like Jesus, I believe the most helpful verse on sanctification of becoming more like Jesus in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul says it like this and says, we all with unveiled faces beholding, Fixing our eyes on the glory of the Lord are being transformed. We're being shaped. We're being molded into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. It flows from him. And the way we become more like Jesus, it's not this formula that we punch in like boom, disciple. no. It's we fix our eyes and we are transformed by one degree of glory to another. One of my mentors told me this phrase, and it stuck with me, that discipleship is not linear, but it is progressive in the sense that we should be moving and looking more like Jesus, one shape to another. And some of you are frustrated in your own life or in other people's lives because they're not looking more like Jesus as quickly as you want. We see this most in our relationships with our our spouses, right? That they see our progress more than anyone else. They see us for who we really are. But discipleship happens when we fix our eyes on who Jesus is and what he does in our life. And when we learn to love him for not what he does in our life of giving you a nice, family and nice house but for just who he is being in his presence loving him and just saying yes I want you and nothing else if you take away everything in my life I will still worship the Lord we're like Job in contrast to Job's wife where Job's wife when everything gets stripped of him and God allows everything to be taken away in his life Job's wife looks at him and says you just need to curse God and die Is that our heart posture towards the Lord? That if if he takes away everything, I don't want him either. Or is it no, yet I will praise the Lord because I love him. I love the giver, not just the gifts. And the last question is for the word dwell. Where are you? Where are you? Like in this journey of following Jesus, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you turned from your sins and placed your full trust in who God is and what he has done in our life when he assessed your greatest need being your rebellion in your sin away from Jesus and said, you need a savior. And he provided the way in Jesus. Where are you? But more than even just placement positionally, where are you headed in this life? Are you eyes fixed on the cross and following Jesus and not looking to the right or to the left, but I'm all in. Wherever God leads me, I'm headed that direction. You know, this question is actually the first question asked in the Bible. In Genesis chapter three, after Adam and Eve sin against God and they break uh, the, the bond between God and their relationship, God is walking in the garden and he is not oblivious to What they've done and and where they're at, but he asked the simple question Where are you? Where are you? Extending this opportunity of grace for Adam and Eve to repent and change their direction in their life of rebelling against God and running away from Him to Him. To Him, because living in God's presence is not easy. I'm not naive to think that God always asks us to do the simple, easy, next step things. God asks us most of the time to do things that offer and make us sacrifice. That's why David in verse six, if you look down at that last verse that we read, he says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices that it's gonna cost you something to live this way. But David does it in this way with shouts of joy and singing praises, making melody to the Lord. That if you're going to live this way, if you are on the cusp of turning from your sin for the very first time and trusting Jesus, it's gonna cost you something. You have to turn from an old way of living to a new way of life in Christ. And that doesn't stop after you pray and, and, and repent of your sins. It's a forever thing. Following Jesus is a constant turning and, and reshaping, sacrificing, repenting, and following Jesus. It may be giving up control of your future or your, even in your present moment. Sacrifice. It may be sacrificing a simple 30 minutes of sleep so you could be in God's word before you start your day. It takes, it costs us something in our lives. So the question's, that you need to ask for how to actually get what you want is where are you looking for it? What do you love and where are you at? And as you process this, what is God asking you to do? What is God asking you to do? Because for David, it is clear he will do whatever it takes to live in the presence of God all the days of his life. And for David, he's confident that this is not just true, but it works in his life. And it will bring him the real desires that he needs and wants for his life. And it causes him to bring shouts of praises and joy. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to chase after God with all he has. And that's my prayer for you and for me in my life. Will you do what it takes to get what you really want? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna respond in song. Father God, we thank you for who you are and what you do in our life. And God, as we assess this passage of scripture, may it wash over us and be the foundation for our life that we want nothing more than to be in your presence and do what you want. And God, may we trust your spirit as it's leading us in this moment to follow you with everything we are. And even if it may cost us, we turn from our sin and we cling to Jesus. We ask this in the most precious name, the name of Jesus, amen.